Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. We want to be in real relationship with you. And every one of us think we want real relationship, right? Until we get it. We think we want someone to pursue us until they do. We think we want someone to be in our lives and hold us accountable. And I can remember as an 18-year-old going off to Liberty University uh, and meeting a guy named Darren, who was a Canadian in his 30s. And I met this guy named Chuck, who was in his 30s. He came to Christ through uh, being in prison after being arrested, being in the German mafia. I was like, I grew up on a dairy farm. I don't know anything about the German mafia. And he said, have you ever been in an accountability group? I go, an accountability what? I don't know what accountability is. And he said, it's where you learn how to take every thought captive internally for the glory of Jesus Christ. You don't just have external purity. You don't just look good to other people on the outside. You actually are walking in holiness internally, and you're allowing somebody to see the inner workings of your life. And I remember saying to him, well, that seems kind of scary. Seems kind of scary to let people see the real you because I'm not impressed with the real me. And so therefore, I know you won't be. Amen? But see, we don't live for an audience of each other. We live for an audience of one, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says to me this morning in my devotions that Jesus was crucified for my sin. And so I'm assuming that that was a little uncomfortable for him. I'm assuming that that in that moment he felt all of the darkness of my life and your life and all of humanity's life. And today we're going to talk about a subject entitled accountability. Boy, that's a tough word, isn't it? If I were to say to you, you like being accountable? I'm guessing if I have you lift your hand and and let's try it. You know, who just loves, I'm not saying that you don't want it, but who just loves accountability, right? No, 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 none of us do. The Bible says that humanity loves darkness, that we love to hide who we are, that we love to shade who we are, that we love to make ourselves look better than we actually are. All of us do this. All of us want to put our best foot forward. All of us want to be perceived as good people, and I get all of that. But God calls us as a church to be accountable. 
And so today, I want to invite you to open your program, open your Bible, your internet device. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 13, and I want to welcome those online. And Brother Jerry, if you're watching, I want to say good morning to you, brother. We love you. We stand with you in these last days of your life, and we ask God for his grace to be upon you, that his favor be upon you, that you would see the fruit of your faithfulness. We are so grateful for your prayers as you pray for us even today. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to give you a definition of accountable, but I want to start with the word account. The word account means to probe into, to analyze. CG, if you said to us, come out uh, on the fourth Monday night of this month, February 26th, and we're going to take an account of you, We're going to probe into you. We're going to analyze you. We're going to get up into the tall weeds of your life and to begin to deal with the real broken things about your life. You go, no, I don't think so. Accountability. Listen to this word. To subject yourself to being analyzed. You're like, who in the world is a glutton for punishment? To subject yourself to being analyzed. I remember when I went to the accountability group as an 18-year-old for the first time, and I'm sitting in this group with 30-somethings, and they're all seminary students, and I'm in Bible college, and they're each going around the room sharing their sin. And when they got to me, they go, well, what's your sin, Kelly? Because it's a foregone conclusion that we all have it. It is the foregone conclusion that all of us have a sin that does so easily beset us. And my sneaky suspicion is we all have more than one. And so when they got to me, they go, well, what's yours? And I go, "Uh, uh, probably like him, you know, I don't know. Could we move on? Could we move on? And so then I, they go, oh, so you struggle with what he struggled with. Yeah, that's what I struggle with. Well, well. How long you struggle with it? Well, you know, it's been a while. <laughs> well, when was the last time? Well, I can't remember. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, do you know what you just did? You just lied for your sin. And for the first time in my life, I'm sure I'd lied for my sin before, but for the first time in my life, I said, yeah, I did. And so I'm sitting there and they're like, you got anything else you want to share? I go, no, no, no. And so they just start going around the circle, and they, they pity me because <laughs> they knew I was lying. And then I raised my hand. I said, guys, I need, to, I need to ask you to forgive me. I lied. I lied for my sin. See, it's one thing to sin. We all do, by the way. But see, when we start lying for our sin and we start developing a duplicitous life, where I've got to make you think I'm more than I actually am. And by the way, we all do it. We all do it. But is the gap getting wider? You say, yes. Okay, you know how it's going to get more narrow? You're going to be in real relationship with people that are going to hold you accountable. Wow. I want you to take a look at, the, uh, at your program. Inside the program is a covenant. And I realize this is old school but we need some old school in our society today. That, that just means I'm old, by the way. We need some old school. We need a covenant that states that we are in 
fellowship with one another. This is called the membership gathering. This is the covenant. Uh, I would encourage you to write down the date March 17th. Uh, If you can come and be a part of our membership gathering, you say, what do I need to do to do that? Uh, You fill out this perforated portion. You drop it off at the welcome table with Pastor Jenny after the service today, and you come be a part of our membership gathering. You go, I don't know if I want to do this or not. That's fine. That's why you come. Come and and enter into this conversation. You go, well, what's it about? Well, I want to encourage you to take this with you today and read it because this is what it's about. This is a covenant that says you get to hold me accountable and I get to hold the church accountable. You know, I had somebody say to me recently, well, I'm not going to that Vanguard church. It's a Southern Baptist church. And we know the skeletons in the Southern Baptist closet. Well, listen, the closet is open and the skeletons are coming out, okay? And just like individuals, churches, organizations, if we're not careful, we love to gloss over the reality of the truth that is in all of our lives, that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I don't know about you, but after this many years, it's very comforting to me. God expects me to do nothing apart from him. So that means that everything he wants us to do, Pastor John, he wants us to ask him to do it with us. And if we do it with him, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And so when the enemy shows you your clay feet, say to Jesus, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See, this moment at 18, I don't know if you understand this or not. I'm 52 now. This moment at 18 has changed the last 34 years of my life. I became a different man because of this simple invite into an accountability group with other men who began to know my life and began to see my life and began to speak into my life and began to speak truth into my life with love and at the same time challenging me that you can become who God has created you to be. So here's my ask of you today. The early church had abandoned this covenant, and we're going to see this in 1 Corinthians 5 today. Here's my ask of you. As I read my devotions this morning, the Lord kept saying, do this in gentleness and with love, but with deep conviction. And that's what church should be. We should do this with gentleness and love, but with deep conviction. That what we're going to talk about matters deeply, but we should do it in a way that shows love to those we're speaking to. Look at verse 1. Now, I can hardly believe Paul says this. The report about the sexually, uh, sexual immorality going on among you. You know, sometimes people say, let's get back to the early church. Well, I think we're there, all right? Something so evil that even the pagans don't do it. I'm told that you have a man in your church who's living in sin with his father's wife. Now, the text didn't say mother, so note that. And you are so proud of yourselves. 
Why aren't you mourning in sorrow and shame? And why haven't you removed this man from your fellowship? Now, this may surprise you, but in Corinth, they lived very colorful lives. They pushed the envelope in their sexuality. Matter of fact, there was a fad back in the first century in Corinth where older women would sleep with younger men. And it was the cultural norm. Just like a couple of centuries ago, excuse me, a couple of generations ago, it was okay for a man in this society to be married with a mistress. So culturally, there's these things that slip in to our society. And what's interesting is eventually they begin to slip into the church. And I don't know if you've noticed this in your own life, but as the world begins to change around us over these past 20 years, how much of it is changing the way you think because of the relationships of your life? And see, the relationships of your life, Paul says to the, uh, to the uh, Ephesians that bad company corrupts good morals. And the reality is that the people that you let influence your life are going to change the way you engage relationships. And some of us are going to distance ourselves from people who don't agree with us because we don't want to hear what they have to say. And that was happening in the early church. And what was taking place here is that older women were sleeping with younger men because it was a cultural acceptance. Now, not just any older and younger, but in this situation, it was a stepmom and a stepson. Now, what does it mean when it says not even the pagans do this? What Paul is alluding to is that he's saying, I don't know if you know this or not, church, but even the government, the Roman government that is over you, does not agree with this. The Roman government did not agree with this practice that was culturally developing in their society, and yet the church latched onto it and began to agree with it and actually took pride in it as something that they were leading the way in. And sadly, the American church tends to want to be ahead of the curb on trends. That was true of the Corinth, the church at Corinth. Now, the fad for older women to find and sleep with younger women Uh, men, this continued to permeate the churches in the first century. Now, this is interesting. Roman law gave a husband in the first century 60 days to report to the government if his spouse and vice versa, a woman could do the same, they were given 60 days to report to the government if they were breaking the law in their sexuality. And then after that, normal citizens around them could report to the Roman government what they were doing that was sinful. And so what was happening here was they were uh, not waiting to report, they were waiting to brag that they were living cultural norms. Now, one thing that I want you to notice, and we'll come back to this as we progress through this, why did they say just remove the man? Why didn't they say remove both of them? We'll answer that question today. So what does biblical church accountability look like? Number one, be broken for others' sin. Be broken for others' sin. Many years ago, 
when God asked me to go and to confront the sin, the private sin in Pastor Ted Haggard's life, here's what he said to me. One of the greatest marks of a person's character is how they handle somebody else's sin in public. That has stayed with me all my life. That is an amazing statement, and I learned it from him. One of the greatest marks of a person's character is how they handle somebody else's sin in the public arena. Powerful, powerful, powerful. So there's four responses when you're dealing with someone else's sin. The first one is just to get angry and drop the hammer on them. The second response is to ignore it. I'm going to look the other way and pretend I don't know what's going on. The third one is to embrace it. Well, I want to love them, and I don't want them to think I'm judgmental, so I'm going to embrace. I may not agree with it, but I'm going to embrace them. But see, what we learn in the Gospels and what we learn in the epistles, Jesus said it to the disciples in John 4, and he has to explain it to them later, that a little leaven works its way through the whole dough. And so if we don't take sin seriously eventually we will join in the sin. And so there's drop the hammer, there's ignore, there's embrace. But here's what Paul says to us. Go back to verse 2. Why aren't you, somebody say it, mourning in sorrow and shame? Let me say it another way. Why aren't we broken by the sin of our loved ones. That's the response God wants us to have. God wants me to be broken for you. God wants us to be broken for each other. You say, how come? Because brokenness gives everybody the best chance to see what their sin is doing to those they love. And it is important to share with those that you're in accountability with and those that you're in relationship with. It's important for them to hear these words. Your sin is breaking my heart. Bear upon yourself the shame of their sin. Bear upon yourself the sorrow of their sin and mourn. See, one of the most difficult things about being a pastor, about being a dad, is that we carry the weight of mourning for the sin of those that have been entrusted to us. And I want you to hear me say this. That's part of what love is. We love people enough to mourn for their sin. We don't just mourn for our sin. That's important so that we don't become hypocrites. But we say to the Lord, Lord, let me be broken for the sin of those that you've entrusted to me.
That's what a family does. That's what a family does. A family doesn't just get angry and drop the hammer. Family doesn't ignore. A family doesn't just embrace. A family says, I need to tell you how your sin is breaking my heart. That's not easy to do. That's not easy to do. It is so difficult to go there. But one of the greatest marks of our character is how we handle that. Now return to Paul's rebuke. Look at verse 3. Even though I'm not there with you in person, so I guess he's zooming in or he's live streaming, all right? I'm with you in the Spirit concerning the one who has done this. I've already passed judgment. Did you read that? Let's read it again. Because everybody wants to quote Matthew 7, 1. Let's go, okay, so make sure you understand. God's not schizophrenic and he doesn't have a split personality. So you have to reconcile Matthew 7 to this chapter. I've already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus. You are to call a meeting of the church. There, we can call it a gathering, call it whatever you want. I'm going to be there in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is going to be with you as you meet. So here's what he's saying. We're going to get together to figure out how to help you. We're going to get together to figure out how to help you. So here's principle number two. Go in Christ's power and confront the sin. Go in Christ's power and confront the sin. One of the saddest moments of my life is that the man that taught me the most about walking in the Spirit and the man that taught me most about accountability, he reached a point where he would not receive any accountability in his own life. And right now, he's living out his days in prison because of his choices. And I want you to hear me say this. It's not what I know that makes the difference in my life. That's important. It's what do I apply. And what I applied yesterday is not going to make any difference in my life tomorrow. You say, then what will? what I apply tomorrow. Every one of us have to choose each day to make right decisions, to be accountable, to be honest, to be vulnerable, to take a risk. And I want to encourage you, you don't need to get up in front of everybody and tell everybody your stuff, all right? but you do need to tell somebody. And I just would encourage you to take a risk, and I'll speak specifically to men right now. We have more than enough room at the table for you. And if you're like, you know what, I've been wrestling with how to get into a huddle, a small group, a discipleship group, an accountability, whatever, however you want to term it. Like, and you say, well, I can't be there on February, uh, the last Monday in February. Well, if you can't, then let Tony know. Let our director know. Let G know. Let one of us know, men. Unaccountable men 
pretty much sums up most of the problems of our society. Enough said. Verse 5. Then you must cast this man out of the church and into Satan's hands so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved when the Lord returns. Boy, this verse is a tough one. Listen, this is if he doesn't want to deal with his sin. Okay? I remember when I sat with Ted and he said, well, what do you think I ought to do about my sin? I said, well, Ted, I don't know, but I will tell you this. I think that you should go and let the people that you're accountable to know what you're doing. He said, well, I've already done that. They've asked me to keep it quiet. Listen, we won't ask you to keep your sin quiet. Okay? But at the same time, we're not going to look the other way. We're not going to look the other way, nor are we going to drop the hammer on you. And one thing that I appreciate is one man said to, to me at the door this morning, he said, you know my story, and yet you've loved me, and you've held me accountable. Amen? And that's right here in this room right now. That's real relationship, okay? That's, what, that's where we're trying to get. You go, I don't want that, <laughs> and you don't want to be here. Okay, this is where we're all trying to get. You go, but I'm not there yet. Good news, none of us are. None of us are. None of us are. But this is who we're trying to be. Because if we can be this with each other, here, you ready? We'll be happier in our marriages. We'll be happier with our children. We'll be happier with our grandchildren. We'll be more content in what we do in our lives. There'll just be a joy about us that's unexplainable, a happiness that overflows in our lives. Principle number three, what does biblical accountability look like? Break fellowship by turning the person over to Satan. Now, I know this is harsh, but this is a part of love, okay? Break fellowship by turning the person over to Satan. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. I saw your verse, Pastor John. You put that on social media this morning, I think, or maybe yesterday. One o'clock, all right. I remember I have an older sister. She was on staff here for 20 years. She lives in Kansas City now, and, and uh, my dad used to discipline her, and she, she would say, why do you have to discipline me, Dad? He said, because I, I love you. She's like, well, do you think you could love me a little less? <laughs> right? Nobody enjoys discipline. The Bible tells us this. It's not, it's not enjoyable in the moment, but, but if you will take it, it will produce in us greater fruit. Greater fruit. One proof that you are his is that he sends someone to confront you. See, what God taught me through the whole mystery of 23 God Speaks and with Ted is, is that he had been doing these things for years, but God loved him so much that he kept sending people privately to help him because that's how much God loves us. God does not want to have to go to point three if he can at all avoid it with you. 
He does not want to have to publicly expose your sin to the whole world to get your attention. That is not what God would hope to do. But at some point, he loves you enough that he's not going to leave you alone in your lies. And so at some point, he will go there publicly because he went there publicly. He was crucified, you ready? Publicly for your sins. Publicly. He would rather privately help you deal with your sin. We would rather privately help you deal with your sin. That is the best way to go about it. But at some point, we find ourselves in very difficult waters. So why is accountability so important? Look at verse 6. How terrible that you should boast about your spirituality. And yet you let this sort of thing go on. So not only do we have hidden sin in the church, but here's, here's the thing. When you find people that have to overly make the point that God's doing great things through them, careful. When you start referring to yourself in the spiritual realm as the G-O-A-T, don't you realize that even that if even one person is allowed to go on sinning, soon all will be affected? I want you to let that verse sink in a little bit. You say, why do we need to confront this? Because we need to love this person but we also need to love everybody else that is involved in the equation. Because if we don't address this person's sin, then eventually everybody else will be tempted to join in. We have to take that seriously. Don't you realize that even if one person is allowed to go on sinning, soon all will be affected. Remove this wicked person... You say, what is a wicked person? A wicked person, the Bible says, is someone who calls good evil and evil good. So let me put a positive spin on the pile of poo of the sinfulness of my life. Remove this wicked person from among you so that you can stay pure. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not by eating the old bread of wickedness and evil, but by eating the new bread of purity and truth. Now, we have to be careful not to go overboard, okay? So now the other person comes into focus, the stepmom. Look at verse 9. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. And I want you to know that there are uh, if you read through the Bible, I would highly encourage you to do this sometime. When you read through the Bible, rarely do the authors begin with a list of sins that don't begin with sexual immorality. Sexual immorality seems to be the gateway that leads to all the other sins that we begin to justify in our lives. And so if you pay close attention to your sexuality, very close attention to your sexuality, you will, play, you will pay close attention to all the other sins of your life. 
Look at verse 11. Excuse me, verse 10. Verse 9. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin. Oh, okay. Or who are greedy. Okay. Or swindlers, people who lie to get what they want. Or idol worshipers, worshiping things that aren't real. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. Thank you. What I meant was that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian, yet indulges in sexual sin, is greedy or worships idols or is abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. Now, what is going on here? What he's saying is, if a person claims the name of Jesus as their Savior, the one who publicly died for their sins, and they basically aren't willing to admit sin is sin, disfellowship with them disassociate with them, step back and get out of the way so that God can get their attention. And here's the thing. All of us as moms and dads want to protect our children, even when they're adults. We want to keep them from self-destructing. But you may very well be the reason why God can't get to your child yet because you keep enabling their lifestyle. That's tough, isn't it? It's tough to grieve in silence. It's tough to weep in the dark for your child. Do not socialize, point four, with Christians who refuse to quit living a certain way. Do not socialize with Christians who refuse to quit living a certain way. Socializes means that you eat with them. You hang out with them. You say, well, I can't be around them. No, you can be around them. But you have to talk to them. A lot of times people misuse this verse. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Let's just be nice to people and they'll repent. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I am being kind to you because Christ commands me to. And it is my prayer that my kindness to you will lead you to repent of the sin you're living in. Well, your loved ones may say something like this to you. Stop being kind to me. I don't deserve it. I'm not going to change. Oh, no, I'm going to continue to be kind to you. I'm going to continue to do what God tells me to do. And I'm going to continue to talk to you about the sin in your life because you claim the name of Jesus. That's real relationship. That's real relationship. Now, what's interesting in this passage, look at verse 12. Because he's talking about the woman here. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Here's what most scholars believe. Most scholars believe that the son and the, the stepson was a believer and the stepmom was not a Christian. And it's interesting in the very next chapter, 
Paul talks about being unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And so context is everything, by the way, as he puts together these letters. And so there's context that tells us, but most scholars believe that the woman probably wasn't a Christian. She married a man that was a Christian, and he had a son from a previous marriage that was a Christian too. And so what the Bible is saying is, if a person does not believe in Jesus as their Savior, if they don't claim Christianity as their way to eternal life, we treat them differently. We do not try to hold unbelievers accountable for their sin because sinners sin. Does that make sense? But if somebody says, I want to be on team Jesus, you go, you do? You do? You do? Yeah. All right. Then we're going to talk to you about your sin. If you're not on team Jesus, you go, what are we going to talk to you about? Jesus. 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 Our church's book, Friend of Sinners Taking Risks to Reach the Lost, it's in the West Lobby. You can read it. It, it explains all of this. It explains how we engage unbelievers, how we engage believers, how we help them walk in real relationship with Jesus Christ. It isn't my responsibility, Paul said, to judge outsiders. You go, you mean I don't have to judge Kelsey for bumping into Andy Reid after the Super Bowl? No, no. No, he's not a Christian as far as I know. No, you don't. You don't have to judge him. You can leave him alone, okay? You don't have to use your social media pages to talk about how terrible he was. Okay, he's not a Christian as far as I know. I think Andy Reid is, but I don't believe Kelsey is. God will judge those on the outside, but as the Scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. So here's number five. Accountability is limited to the community of faith. It's not our job to judge unbelievers. And if you're judging an unbeliever, this is a harsh statement. As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're judging an unbeliever, you're in sin. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not judging other Christians, you're in sin. That's how it works. We have to make right judgments about each other. We hold the church brothers and sisters accountable, but we don't hold the world accountable. We don't expect the world to be something other than it is. So I want to return to the covenant, and I want to return to March 17th. We're seeing incredible fruit in our church right now. Like We're going to see people share testimonies of salvation uh, on the first Sunday in March, March 3rd. Be sure and mark your calendars, 10 a.m., one service, cook out afterwards. If you show up for the 11 o'clock, you'll be late. You won't miss the baptism, but you'll miss the great sermon. So anyway, <laughs> I'm going to get on a roll as a grandpa preaching, by the way. So, But here, this covenant, here, this information on the inside, you see who Vanguard is. We can get you whatever information you want to know about the church. What's your next step? We want you to become a member of Vanguard. We want you to become a part of our fellowship. We want you to take a risk with us 
hold us accountable and let us hold you accountable. You go, that sounds messy. It is. It is. And you know what? The closer you get to me, my feet stink too. Amen? Amen. Thank you. This is not about me. This is about Jesus. This is about us as a family. This is about us understanding that none of us have arrived. We're all on a journey. As they say in the Greek, it's a progressive present. It's a continuous action. That's where we're at. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.